Okay, we're going to do something different today, as I warned you about last week. If you brought your cell phone, normally we say, you know, turn off your cell phones, don't bring them to church. But today, I hope you brought your cell phone to church. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to ask you to respond by texting an answer. So let me just, you know, do the disclaimer, texting rates apply, you know, all that kind of thing that, that you hear, which is true. Um, so, you know, take out your phone if you have it with you and open up your texting program, whatever that may be, and be ready to send your text. You're going to send it to a number 22333. All right, so we'll, we'll show you that in a minute, but if you want to get that ready. All right, now, while I'm going to tell you this story, so I don't want to be seeing this while I'm telling you the story, okay? I want to just see it down here, okay? No phone calls while it's going on. I read about a man who had a dream. And in this dream, the prosecutor was accusing him of all the sins he'd ever committed. Every one of them. The sins that he knew about, the sins he didn't know about. The sins that he had planned and the sins that he didn't plan. Every sin of his life was described by this prosecutor. And it went on hour after hour after hour after hour. And the humiliation was overwhelming him. And the weight of it was overwhelming him. And he said he could almost feel the soles of his feet getting hot. And in the midst of this, after hours of accusations, these angels show up to present his defense. And the only thing the angels can say is, but he loved. And they just kept repeating it over and over again, but he loved. But he loved. But he loved and became this this, this chorus, this chant. But he loved, but he loved. And all through the night and on into the morning. And as dawn was breaking, the angels won. It won the case, and he was safe. Now, here's my question for you. What do you think about that story? How does it make you feel? How do you respond to that? And I'm giving you three choices. The first one is, I I like that story. I'm comfortable with that. The second is, I'm uncomfortable with what that story suggests. And third... Well, it depends. You've got to ponder that a little bit more. All right? You've got about two minutes. We've got a timer on this. And once we get started, so go ahead and start texting your answer, if you have it, and to one of those numbers, and uh, we'll start revealing the results here. This is the results from the first the service before, so we're going to add ours to that.
told the other crowd, it's sort of like watching the sausages race at the baseball game. It's kind of edging it back and forth like this as you go along, right? Is that about it? Okay. One more. Now, when you're done, now's the time to turn off your cell phone. Okay. That pretty much mirrors the responses of each of the services today. That, number one, had the most, yes, had the most responses, but two and three together were more than one by itself. And it it tells me two things, I think. One is that we consider love pretty important. And that, that we, when we think about love, we see it as vital and significant. It also tells me that there's something in the back of our minds that isn't exactly sure that love is enough. Isn't there something else that we ought to be thinking about? Isn't there something else that could be presented as evidence when our case comes to trial. But whatever the answer to this might be, whether we put, I'm comfortable, I like it, or I don't, or something in between, the one thing that I'm convinced about is whatever our answer is, that we continually need to be reminded about what it means to love. Because our struggle is not so much that we think love is important. Our struggle is, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about love? It's significant to me that that love is the first thing Paul lists when he mentions the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. I don't think any scholar would say, this is the only fruit that could come out of a person's life who is walking in the spirit. That this is the end of it. This is all there is to it. I don't think that's what it's intended to be. But I will say this. Any any list, uh, any fruit that might be listed, the fruit of the spirit that you would find somewhere else, if it doesn't have love in it, it's not a fruit of the spirit. Because it's always about love. It always starts with love. And in fact, there are some scholars who believe that these are not nine separate equal characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, but that rather love is the main one and all the other eight are descriptive of love. Ways in which we love. And there may be, there's probably some truth to that. But the reason love is so important for us and why it's so definitively a mark of the Spirit in our lives is because that's the nature and character of God. He keeps telling us that over and over and over again, a variety of ways. A couple of passages, 1 John 4, 8 says that, that we are to love like God. And, and if you don't know, if you, if, let me say it again. Well, whoever does not love doesn't know God. Why? Because God is love. And Jesus tells his disciples, if people, people are going to know your mind, Not because you believe right things, as important as that is. Not because you follow certain rituals, as helpful as that can be. But because you love each other. 
That's the definitive mark of my disciples because that's my nature, my character. And when we read through the scriptures and we read about who God is and and how God describes love and how God lives out love, the one constant we see is that God's love is always outward directed. It's always outward focused. It's always other directed, other focused. It's about what he is doing for other people. And when we think about love, that means if we're going to have the love of the Spirit in our lives, if we're going to have the love of Jesus in our lives, it's going to be outward directed. I would say it this way. Love is not love if it doesn't involve self-giving sacrifice. Now, we tend to think of love as I feel good. You know, I love this person. And, they, and why do we love them? Because they make us feel something that we get all tingly when we're around them. And, and that's good. Or we have a good relationship with them. We like being together. I, and we love things because it, it brings us joy and pleasure. And, and that's all fine. That's good. Those are gifts of God. But when we boil it down to Christ love, we are talking about a love that is always involved, always involves self-giving and self-sacrifice. It always comes back to that. Because it comes back to the cross. Jesus, or, uh, Paul writes, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not because we deserved it, it's because he loved us. And he's for us. It's always about this this mindset of self-sacrifice, self-giving. And as hard as that is, Jesus takes it to another level. We talked last week about how the fruit of the Spirit are really kind of common things. There's nothing overtly unique about them in terms of being Christian. Because most of the world believes love is a good thing. Most of the world believes that That being gentle is a good thing. Most of the world believes that being patient is a good thing. So what makes them, what separates them? What is it about this fruit that Paul describes here that makes it of the spirit? That obviously sets it apart as identifiable of people who are walking in the spirit. What is it? It is this level that Jesus takes it. And we find in Luke chapter 6, Jesus telling us, It's wonderful that you love people who love you. But quite frankly, the pagans do that. It's great that you love people who are, you're good to people who are good to you. But quite frankly, anybody can do that. It's terrific that you lend things to people knowing that they are going to give them back to you. That you give of yourself knowing that people, that they're going to give back to you. That's great. But you know what? Anybody can do that. What sets apart people who are displaying the fruit of the Spirit is that we love the difficult people. We love the hard people. Jesus says, you love your enemies. You love the people who are against you. You love the people who have hurt you. You love the people who have betrayed you. That's the test of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's hard. 
That's really hard. You know, there are those moments when, when we put ourselves out there and we stick out our necks and it doesn't go so well. And we're hurt. And we feel that pain of people betraying us and deserting us. And our natural human inclination is to pull back and say, I'm not doing that again. Our natural human inclination is to say, I'm done with them. I gave them enough chances. I'm not doing that anymore. And the prompting of the Spirit is keep loving, keep giving, keep sacrificing. And I stand before you as someone who wrestles with that, just like you do. I'm not standing up here as an expert or somebody who says, hey, I've got this all covered. Oh, my goodness. We all have people, we all have circumstances in our lives. We all have groups of people that we find difficult to love. They've declared themselves to be our enemy. They've hurt us, they've betrayed us. And Jesus says, loving those people is what sets you apart as mine. It's hard. After I talked last week about the preparing the soil of our hearts, I had two people say to me that it caused, it made them think about uh, what they do as sort of uh, hobby gardeners and the ways they prepare the soil. And they said, of course, they thought about pulling up rocks out of the soil and done that and about weeding and staying on top of that. And, but they said, they, they realized, both of them said this, they realized the most the best way to make soil what you want it to be is compost. Or another word we use similar to that would be manure. And we know how much we try to avoid the smell of compost and manure, right? If you're out and the farmers are spreading manure on their fields, you're just praying the wind isn't blowing your direction. It is ugly, And it smells terrible. And we try to avoid it all that we can. And as the more I pondered that, I realized maybe this this self-giving sacrifice for the hard people is the manure that creates love in our lives. We don't like it. We try to avoid it. We want to get away from it. And yet, it's the challenge that God uses to, to work in us, to create the soil in us out of which the fruit of love can grow. And without that challenge, we wouldn't really try that hard. We wouldn't look any different from anyone else. That's the call of the Spirit. You know, when Jesus is asked by the religious leader, who's my neighbor? His response is to tell him the story of the Good Samaritan. This Jewish man who was beaten and robbed on the road and two of the Jewish priests walked by on the other side and the Samaritan, the Samaritans who are hated by the Jews and who hate the Jews back, the Samaritan stops and he helps this man and he takes care of him. And you got to know that, I mean, this was, I mean, it's so shocking 
in that culture. If, we, if, the, if the question we had asked of that group like we did today, I'd said to them, all right, pull out your phones, we're going to tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. How many agree with this story? Everyone would have put number two. If you had 100 people responding, 100 people would have put number two. And if there was anybody who put number one, they'd be seeking out, okay, who's the traitor among us? That's not how we operate. This is not the kind of story we want to tell our children. And Jesus' point is not just about loving the wrong people. What we ought to be concerned about is loving the wrong people the right way. And we're not just committed to loving these people who are hard, but we're committed to loving them in sacrifice and self-giving. And the hard thing about that is that that makes us feel so vulnerable. Sometimes we talk about love and risk. You know, we, we talk about that loving is risking, and, and there's, there's certainly truth to that. It, it is risky to really love in this way. But the more I ponder that, I'm not sure risk is the best word to describe what we're talking about here. Because risk implies that you might or might not be hurt. There's high potential, but you might not be hurt. And, and I'm convinced if we love the way Jesus loves, if we love as the fruit of the Spirit in us, it's not risk that we're going to be hurt. We're going to be hurt. The one who, after whom we're modeling our love ended up on a cross. And this scenario has been going through my mind the last few months of, you know, when, when we get in a relationship, one of our goals is to win. I mean, it might be small things, big things. We, we want to feel like we're winning. Particularly if there's a conflict that we have with someone, we want to win. It's human nature to want to do that. We all wrestle with that one time or another. We want to win. And we talk in sometimes in management and leadership discussions of win-win situations. And, and it's great to be able to do that. But when we're talking about the love of Christ that is the fruit of the Spirit, I think win-win is impossible. Because I'm convinced you either win or you love. I don't think you can do both. Because the very act of loving like Christ is losing It's giving of ourselves. It's sacrificing. And what that losing may look like, I'm not sure. Situations vary. But we will feel it in our spirits that we're giving up something we wanted to hang on to. And we have to choose. Do we want to see the Spirit developed in our lives? Do we want to grow the fruit of love in our lives? Or do we want to win? And it's hard. Because we like to win. I like to win. I like to look like I know what I'm talking about. I like to feel like in, when there's a situation, I end up on top. I end up looking, looking good. It may be that that doesn't happen. I may not be vindicated. 
But the real question is, am I loving? Am I giving of myself in love? And there is no limit to love. You know, the the religious leader that asked Jesus about loving my neighbor is all about limits. How much do I have to love? And Jesus keeps telling people, in my kingdom, we don't talk about limits. Peter says to him, Lord, I forgave this person seven times. Isn't that enough? That's pretty good, isn't it? It's better than most people. And Jesus says, well, how about 70 times seven? How about really what he means is, how about infinity? Because I'm not interested in limits. I'm not interested in how little can I love and still get by. I'm interested in how much can I love, no matter how it hurts. Here's the deal with loving like that, as hard as it is. The only way we'll ever be able to do that, the only means to loving like Christ, even getting close to that, even wanting that, is when we begin to understand how much God loves us. As John writes, this is love, not that we love God but that he loved us. That's the foundation for all of our loving, God's self-giving, sacrificial love for you and me. That's what changes everything because all the love we give away, God keeps giving back. The foundation of our love, is of God's love for us is limitless. And we can give it away freely. It's never going to run out. I, I know I've shared this with you before, but I, keep, I can't get out of my mind what I read years ago by Craig Barnes, who's now the president of the Princeton Theological Seminary. So when he was in school, he had a professor that stood up in class one day and he said, you ought to give thanks every morning that you are unnecessary. So they all kind of looked at him, What? I mean, I know creation doesn't need us. I know God doesn't need us. But surely I'm necessary for something, somewhere, somebody. He said, no, no, no. You're you're too important. You're too valuable to be necessary. You deserve to be loved. And I've pondered that through the years. And I realized that people to whom I am necessary don't really love me. Because as soon as I am unnecessary to them... I'm not important to them anymore. They move on. But people who love me stay with me whether I give them anything or not, whether I'm necessary to their lives or not. And the ultimate example of that is God. God doesn't need us. He wants us. And because God wants us, Because God loves us unconditionally and eternally, we are free to love others. In his book, All is Grace, Brendan Manning tells a story about being a part of a group of of priests, band of brothers who lived in a a little community in a rural city of Paris, or uh, France, outside of Paris. 
And they, they lived, subsisted off the land. They sold little things that they made and they just did good deeds for people. He said it was one of the, one of the greatest experiences of his life. And the, the leader of their group was a man named Dominic. They all respected him. They loved him. They admired him. And he led them for a number of years until he was diagnosed with inoperable cancer. And he went to Paris to live with family and friends who could care for him. And none of them were surprised that when he went to Paris and got settled, he got a job as a night watchman at a factory. From 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., he worked at this factory. And when he got off work and he walked home, he always, every morning, stopped at a park near his apartment. And this was a park that was infamous for all the people that I guess sometimes you might call them riffraff. Winos, drug addicts, prostitutes, homeless people. The the people of society that most of us would rather stay away from. And he would stop at that park for hours after working all night and he would give them candy and he would sit and listen to their stories and he would tell them over and over again, God is crazy about you. God loves you just as you are, not as you should be. And every day he stopped and he had these conversations and he listened to them and he told them how much God loved them. Never knowing exactly what kind of impact that might have. He just gave himself away in love. And Manning says that one day they came to his apartment and found that he had died. And he was diagnosed as death from a heart attack. He said, I I think actually he died from heart surrender. He just gave his heart away. A few days later, they had a a gathering in his honor. And he said, the only word I can use to describe the people who came to this little wake was a great throng of people who'd just been touched by his life of love. In the weight of glory, Lewis says, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God and nothing else. I'm convinced it's appropriate to paraphrase that. He who loves and does everything else does nothing more than he who loves and does nothing else. Because when we love, when the Spirit's fruit of love begins to form in us, everything else falls into place. We're going to take a few moments just for some silent meditation. 
God may put on your heart someone, a group of people, a circumstance in which you are finding it very difficult to love. And maybe he's asking you to take a step. Maybe he's asking you to just want to love. Sometimes that's where we start. But as God speaks, let's listen and open our hearts to him. Father, thank you for your love for us and for your call to want us to be set free to love others. Whatever situation, whatever person, whatever group of people is in our minds right now, give us grace to love. We ask this through Christ. Amen. I think it's important to have an opportunity to um, do something tangible to respond as God speaks to us. And so there's, a, there's three things that I'm going to encourage you to do, offer to you. At the outside ends and, and the inside, the ends of each of the rows, both the middle part and the ends, there are little cards. And if the cards aren't there, there should be some 3 by 5 index cards that have a little strawberry on it and they say love. If you don't have in your row, maybe check the rows in front of you or around you. But I'd like to have everybody take a card of some kind. And I want you to... Sometime today, and I think it's important to do it today, I want you to take this card and to write down whatever God is saying to you, whatever place in your life, whatever you need to see about his prompting of love. Whatever that may be. You write down whatever you, you want to write down. And then put it on your mirror, put it by your bedside, on your desk, carry it with you, something that will keep it in front of you. And that leads to the second thing, because I want us to, again this week, commit to pray five minutes a day, asking God to bear the fruit of love in our hearts. Asking God to to bring fruit out of the soil of our hearts, the fruit of love that looks like him. And to make that our prayer at the very minimum, five minutes a day, morning, evening, evening. Divide it up, whatever works for you, but asking God to do that.
I appreciated a few people who wrote me this week and said, God's really speaking to me by doing this. And the third thing is, sometimes it's important in the moment, it's important to not let a moment pass without some kind of concrete assurance. And so this morning, some of the elders and some of the pastors are going to be downstairs by the prayer room. And if you would like someone to to listen to you, talk to you, pray with you, not to stay a long time, but just to be available to let you share your heart and to have someone pray over you this morning. And it may maybe it's about something else, but whatever you would like, then just encourage you to go down the, down the steps and down the, to the basement. And they'll be there. We've got other rooms we'll go into and just spend a few moments praying together and asking God to continue to work His Spirit of love in us.